Hi, Blah. Good morning. Afternoon? What time is it over there? Afternoon? It's nearly evening. Eight, it's nearly eight o'clock in the evening, eh? Is it? Wow. <laughs> what time is it where you are? Two thirty. Two thirty. You're so. Yeah. You, you've got me on a bank holiday. This is like, this is a non-work day, and here I am recording a podcast episode with you. What the hell's a bank holiday? They just. We have. Um, I don't know how many. I actually don't know how many. We have a number of bank holidays every year, where all the banks are shut, but most businesses are shut as well. It's a public holiday. Mm, okay. Yeah, we have some of those. Actually, next weekend. Oh, really? Monday, yeah. Today's the last Labor bank Day. holiday until Christmas, which is quite scary. Uh, uh, I don't know. Might be. No, we have, we'll have like uh, Thanksgiving, some, some good old American holidays coming up where we close things down. But Yeah, I wouldn't mind experiencing a, a Thanksgiving. That's not something that exists over here. It's uh, it's something. We'll put it that way. I've heard it's like bigger than Christmas for you guys. No. No. I mean, I, I guess it depends on the family, but no. Christmas is the ultimate, big time. The big yeah. stuff. Thanksgiving is just a day, and then the leftovers. Whereas Christmas is a whole season. <laughs> okay. You okay. know, it's it's movies and music and Mariah Carey's playing at every store you go into. So yeah. it's it's uh. Yeah, no, Christmas is definitely bigger than, than Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, first off, I want to start this episode by saying congratulations on moving into your new home. Thank you. It's uh, I guess if we ever upgrade to doing video, we'll have uh, people have nothing to compare it to, but they'll see how lovely the nice new home is. It looks very spacious but... to your last place. Yeah, so this is the downstairs like entryway. That's the garage door right behind me, and then... Um, Tony has her own office upstairs, so we're not sharing an office anymore. Either. Way, so we can record whenever we want. Yep. And uh, Friday's completely open. Anytime we can grab a few minutes, we can do do a couple episodes. Let's no, do no this. scheduling conflicts now. Yeah. We can actually record way more stuff. Maybe we'll up to releasing two episodes a week at some point. <laughs> Let's not make promises we can't keep. But, <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Um, okay. So I, I think you had a topic today that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, right? but I forgot what it. Oh yeah, I forgot it, but I've remembered it now. <laughs> wow. So, um, well, my memory's like a sieve, man. It's nearly eight o'clock at night. Do you blame me? Um, right. So, one of my clients, he every year he goes for one of these health checks. I think it's mm-hmm. um, covered by his work and stuff, but it's a very thorough, in-depth health check where they literally do everything like blood work whatnot you know they they check everything um i and i i don't quite know how they do all of the assessments but i know it's very thorough and um anyway he came back to me saying that his results were the best he's ever been you know so i was like great good news and then he started saying oh you'll know what this is and uh he started talking about visceral body fat which, for those who don't know, visceral fat is the fat that covers your organs or surrounds your organs. And Correct. the fat that most people want to burn is subcutaneous fat, which is the fat that makes us look bigger, like just underneath a layer of skin, right? Correct. Subcutaneous means below the skin. Oh, 
didn't know um, that, but learned some of that. Yeah, and it's I like the that is the correct definition. Sometimes you hear visceral fat referred to as trunk fat. Okay. But you have subcutaneous fat in the trunk region, you know, around the midsection, top of the chest, that kind of stuff. Visceral fat is very specifically, like you said, that deeper fat that surrounds the organs. Sure. And so naturally we all have some visceral body fat, but the lower your body fat in general, the lesser visceral body fat you tend to usually have. But anyway, the oh, oh, your face is like, oh, not sure there. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, you can still have higher visceral body fat and lower body fat in general but most and vice versa yeah yeah and the other way so you can be a bigger person um with more subcutaneous fat with lesser visceral fat and they're the people who are deemed like the healthier healthier bigger people right yeah it's it's better to be higher subcutaneous and lower visceral than the other way around yeah because visceral, visceral is the most life-threatening fat yeah it can give you like a heart attack or a stroke or something or higher risk or, or yeah it's it's a it's a element of those things yeah yeah for sure okay anyway so this client um his visceral body fat came up to just on the borderline of normal to ranging close to higher Doctor said it's nothing to be concerned about. He said the way you burn, you the way you burn visceral body fat quicker though, is by doing fasted exercise, which I was like, huh, never heard that before. <laughs> and then I drop you a message. You want to throw in your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, first off, this is a like almost like a free advertisement for our next episode, which is we have uh, Brock back who was on this the the uh, stress episode with us so brock will be back talking about uh fasted cardio so this is interesting q in um and i just can't agree with that statement um i think it's this is just the classic example of sometimes professionals need to learn how to stay in their lane Mm. um there is almost never a single answer to changing a health component. It's not just diet. It's not just fasted cardio. It's not just going keto. You know, do those rare examples exist where there is, you know, one route to go? Probably, you know, almost certainly there's occasional things. But to just say like, oh, well, the way you reduce this one thing is by doing this one other thing. In this case, you know, reducing visceral fat is doing fasted cardio. It's just not true. Well, uh, what makes what crosses my mind is maybe this doctor um, uses fasted training to keep their body fat lower down themselves, or have recommended it to other people and seen they've lost drastic amounts of body fat or whatever, or visceral fat, or. You know, and it's like, oh, they're like, oh, well, it must work then. Or they follow some fools out there who, you know, who swear by fasted cardio or, you know, there's there's loads of reasons why this doctor may or have recommended it. But I just find, like, why make, like, the, I think sometimes people forget that, especially i find in the uk maybe you can vouch for the us but like when someone has the title of doctor 
we automatically believe everything that comes out of that person's mouth. We call them an authority figure. And so naturally when someone has a, a higher level title or a title that's taken years to like get, we believe the things coming out of their mouth must be true because they've worked harder for their qualification versus other people or because you know they saved so many lives that like they must know what they're talking about all the time but i think not to say that you know doctors are bad at what they do but they are qualified to give medical advice not physical advice on how to change your body you know that's that's my job that's your job not a doctor's job so for a doctor to go and undermine everything i'm doing with my client by saying oh just don't eat and train you know i've had some clients feel dizzy from doing something like that you know fair enough he's done a full assessment and knows this guy will probably be all right if he does that i think it's unfair to you know just go and say something that has no backing whatsoever yeah i i do agree with that for the united states as well it ultimately i think perhaps where it stems from a couple different things number one Doctors do have a very, we'll be more specific, medical doctors have a very, you know, detailed background and education in biochemistry and exercise science and nutrition science both also share a biochemical background. Biochemistry, organic chemistry are, are very much parts of the deeper research in those fields. But understanding biochemistry and understanding nutrition and behavior change and exercise science and motivation and things like that are not synonymous. And so, yeah, they are smart and they do have a general understanding of the body and, and biochemistry and how it works. And I do think there are some doctors out there, a guy that I follow on Instagram, uh, Dr. Arnolsky, I think his name is, but he, um, you know, there are doctors that give really good nutrition advice. And I think that there are some that you know, really care and are actually trying to give good advice. But the average number of nutrition courses that the doctors in the United States take is less than one, meaning that most of them don't take any. Some of them might take one or more, but but on average, it's less than one in the entire program for becoming a medical doctor. And just because you understand biochemistry doesn't mean you get to be the all-encompassing authority on everything health-related, like you said. And I think it's very similar as an analogy to, like, police officers being judge, jury, and executioner. Just because you are tasked with upholding the law doesn't mean you also get to, you know, judge and deem the, the crime and punishment aspect of it. That's why we have courts and we have police officers and we have a jury of peers, et cetera, et cetera, like these things need to be separated and the task delegated to the expert, not just one sole authority figure. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily owe it. Like think it's totally doctor's faults because like we as the public have deemed them as this authority figure because they do help us and naturally make us better when we're sick and things. And so we want to believe that like I used to believe everything that a doctor would say and think 
oh, well, they know best, or I need to go see my doctor if something's not right because they know how to fix it. But as I've like learned more and I've got more education, I've actually realized the doctor is more for when i am um, got more of a, a disease-based um, illness or like something um, internal or you know my gut's not right or something like that like I would go see my doctor to then like either give me medication or to refer me to the right relevant department and I've also personal trained doctors in the past and when I have done that I've noticed like I, I expect them to come in knowing a similar amount to me and I find it quite mind-boggling to know that you know everything I'm teaching them they're learning for the first time ever very similar to most of my clients who are general population and I'm like oh so if these doctors don't know who work with the general public don't know the things that I'm teaching them then why are people going to the doctor as their first choice when it comes to solving a lot of the things that we solve in our jobs and a lot of doctors will go and give them an answer instead of going oh sorry that's not my expertise most doctors not most i'm sorry i don't want to go and put a blanket statement out there but a lot of doctors will go and say oh you just need to do this or that when they actually don't know the answer themselves so I do. I, I agree that I think the public is partially to blame for just going to doctors as a one shop, one stop shop. I think one of the bigger issues, one of the biggest things that separates you and I, and how we interact with our clients from doctors and how they interact with their patients, is FaceTime. On average, you only see your doctor for about fifteen to twenty minutes a year. Go in for a checkup and they run some blood work and go over the results and let you know what's wrong or how you're, how healthy or unhealthy you are. And they give some general advice, you know, and, and, uh, sometimes it's not even during that session. Like I've had times where I went in and my, one of my cholesterol markers was slightly elevated and in the portal that gave me my blood work, it said something like a just generic, try to reduce, carbs and sugars from your diet and saturated fat or something, you know, just like three random things. And we know that behavior change and, and developing a new lifestyle is emotional. It's, it requires constant, uh, education and support and, you know, talking with that person through their hurdles, through their hardships, through the changes in, in schedule and things like that to stay on top of and stay consistent with these changes that they're putting effort into making. So 15 minutes a year, you're going to get advice like no more pasta, no more potatoes, no more dairy, no more happiness, get out of my office, see you next year. And then next year rolls around and they've lost zero weight. They perhaps maybe even gained some weight because they, you know, gave this drastic change. The The old college try failed and then went back to, you know, maybe even binging a little bit because they tried to cut out every food that they love for an extended period of time and it backfired. And that's just not how change works. You know, it's, it's not enough 
interaction with the patient to really see that emotional and behavioral aspect take root. Yeah. I mean, I think it is down to the the general public to to turn around and go, what's wrong with me? And which expert advice do I need to get versus just going to the doctor all the time? But like, I guess this client of mine just went for a general assessment. He just wanted to see if his, if his health was okay. He wasn't looking for advice. He just wanted numbers. And then to show me the numbers and go, look at him, how much I've improved from last year to this year. And it was a drastic change. He's lost like nearly 10% body fat, but he's the exact same weight he was last year, which is insane. It means he's built significant muscle mass and lost significant body fat amongst whatever changes are, are, are also going on in his body. And so, you know, to then have a doctor go, oh, you need to do this. Fair enough. Luckily, he's been training with me for a number of years so he took it with a pinch of salt but he wanted to just get my opinion on it and so i came to you because i was like that doesn't sound right to me and you like clarified it to me but you know it's just um very interesting that people will just say whatever they think is correct and if my client wasn't training with me like many other people don't have the luxury to have me and you, me and you in their lives other than this podcast now, a lot of people would just take that statement and run with it. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there's people who do that religiously, like people do fasted cardio, like bodybuilders and all sorts of stuff because they believe that you'll burn fat quicker and things like that. But, like, a lot of these are more um, people's, like, mentality versus actual factual science. That That's how it works. And I... I hate that kind of defeatist mindset that sometimes, you know, the he's improved in all these markers, but the first thing or one of the main things that he took home was, yeah, but this could be better. You know, and it's it. Uh, I think with this specific case, you even mentioned that they didn't take his visceral fat last year, so they have nothing to compare it to. Maybe it's also gotten better. And all he heard was this could be better. And you had to go back and be like, look at all these improvements you made instead of focusing on this one. But that's the wrong way to approach it is, oh yeah, well, regardless of how healthy you are in all these other areas, focus on this one thing that you could be doing better. And I do agree that there's always responsibility on the person to, to find the right expert. But I think the system has failed some of these people in the sense that most doctors, at least the once a year, it's covered by insurance or in the UK, it's free because it's part of the taxation process, whereas you and I are typically not. You know, uh, I just so happen to work for a company where we do take insurance for a lot of nutrition, you know, if you have the right insurance. But, you know, your your role, your your, you know, treatment, your care is not covered by uk taxation you're, you're not covered by insurance companies they got to pay out of pocket and so that's daunting to a lot of people to think you know well this guy is free so let's just go with that and you know we are getting better with what's covered we are getting better with experts referring out i think the worst culprits of this in my opinion from what i've seen from the medical doctor community is the general practitioner or the primary care physician, they seem to have kind of that um, 
oh, I can, I can handle your diabetes. I can handle your Ozempic. I can handle your medications. This is how you lose weight. And they're less likely to say, oh, this is a cholesterol heart issue. Go see a cardiologist. So oh, this is a diabetes hormone issue. Go see an endocrinologist. You know, so I do think we're turning a corner with referrals, but I have noticed I've had primary care physicians, especially some of the like older generation flat out tell my clients, no, they're not going to give them a referral to go see an endocrinologist. I'll handle your diabetes and the medication for it. And that's just appalling to me. Oh man. I mean, there's pros and cons to everything because, you know, like uh, not to like slate doctors or anything like that. (laughs) Um, you know, like I know some trainers who, you know, unfortunately the criteria to, enter my industry isn't very high so you know to become a good trainer does take years of practice and really developing and learning on the job and so you know I'm very lucky to have been able to do this for 10-12 years now so you know I've, I've learned a lot and so you know I do feel bad for the new people coming in because there's still loads of things to learn and you know, some people get shut down very easily or, you know I, know, I shut down a lot of people on social media because, you know, they're putting out a lot of false information out there. But, you know, not not every industry is perfect. And so doctors, trainers, dietitians, nutritionists, any industry, you know, you, you build it down the road, you know, you could do a really shoddy job of, um, you know, the plaster on your wall in your house. Um, you know, there's there's good and bad in every industry. And so we're not saying everything's all bad, but I think it's just very careful to not just um, take the first opinion you hear. And that was kind of the point of this episode. But I think we have to wrap up for now. So yeah, let's see. I, um, Go on. I, I just, yeah, my last thought is like, I, I have, I love doctors. I trust them. You know, I do think there are times where, where people need to consider if their doctor has their best interest at heart or if they're just phoning it in and you know, I, I feel knowledgeable enough with a lot of these disease states because of the crossover with nutrition to comfortably say, I don't agree with you. I'm not going to go on that medication if something were to come up or, you know, I, I have a better background and understanding of biochemistry and, and preventable diseases. So I, it's a, I feel fully confident going into the doctor and just taking their word for most things, but also combating or 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 standing up for myself in other cases whereas the the general person you know your average it consultant isn't going to have that same necessary background understanding and so it's like you said that person that doctor just becomes like a god figure and you know it's uh it's good to stay informed and it's good to you know seek out a multitude of opinions from different experts Let's find a doctor and get him on one of these episodes. Yep, I agree. Right. Sweet, guys. See you around soon. A healthy debate runs purely on fat and is completely free of banned substances. This episode was edited by Blair Solberger, so if it sucks, blame him. The next episode will be out in a week wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at A Healthy Debate or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at a healthy debate.